So everyone got their alcohol ready? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> got the IV set up with the booze. Fantastic. <laughs> I was surprised by this movie in many ways. I to say, I was regretting my decision. I, I think this would be something I'd say to my kids. Oh, that's good to hear. I think it's about a father's love for his child. Oh, absolutely, yes. And uh, a complete stranger's love for that man's child. wore really <laughs> ugly outfits. <laughs> Puke yellow, prom night, pale blue, you know. I, I don't even know <laughs> yeah. where to start Definitely with this film. Definitely not a movie I would consider watching unless you tell me to. Hello, I'm Derek. And I'm Peter. And this is the Mog. And this Mog is a GOG because today we have the amazing opportunity to speak with Gareth Reynolds, aka not Gary, aka Gaffy, who features as one half of the popular bi-singular weekly American history comedy podcast, The Dollop. Thanks for joining us, Eddie Baby. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for that intro. <laughs> very very nice and mildly confusing, but very nice. Yeah, that's pretty much how we roll. That's what happens when you do a bi-weekly show once a week. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I think that uh, adding extra confusion, it's easy to run with things as they come at you. Yeah. So, um, Derek, did you want to give um, Gareth a bit of a rundown of what we are all about? Yeah, so we're massively inspired by the dollop. And we all have these beloved films from our childhood. Some are quite obscure. So our podcast premise, we force the other to watch our favorite childhood film and the other hasn't seen it before. And so how do these films hold up without the nostalgia tinted glasses? Yeah. Oh boy. Not well normally. No. <laughs> <laughs> Though when we first started doing it, one of the ones that I tortured Derek with was called The Toy. Oh yeah. And yeah, yeah. Um, we had arguments after watching that because uh, that really scarred Derek having to watch it again. Richard Pryor. It was a great mm. comedy, <laughs> but it was extremely racist and I'm dark-skinned. Well, mo- most, like, it really is always, I mean, it's shocking now, like, in, you know, not as long of time spans, but, yeah, you watch, and the, the racism that was in most movies, like, from the 70s or 80s, it's just sometimes shocking. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, we just watched one called Forbidden Planet again. And Mm. that's um, 30 white dudes, one white woman in the film. It was a science fiction film. And I hadn't watched it for ages. And my God, it was sexist. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, anytime you do the real life Smurfs. Uh, situation it's going to be you know there's definitely I mean those, those numbers just I mean those numbers are just stacked against any oh, yeah, uh, woman feeling comfortable <laughs> yeah exactly but you know the kid from the toy one of the kids from the toy ended up doing porn do you know that yeah that's right yeah the, the um I can't remember the, his name. the little guy the the one that said yeah this little cutie pie and then he becomes like 30 and he's like you like that yeah. Well, he was a good actor too, so I'd imagine he probably did well for himself. Well, you still use toys in both careers. Yeah. Valuable. Amazing. And, and potentially with older black men as well, I guess. Oh, sure, yeah. Sky's the limit. Yeah. Bill Cosby's the toy. Oh. <laughs> a true crime documentary. Uh, yeah, yeah. A porno that nobody asked for. <laughs> <laughs> so um so i was just wondering it was are there any movies that when you were a child sort of influenced you oh yeah i mean you know i really watched a lot of i i mean i watched a lot of film and television growing up i, I mean 
And as a young kid, I mean, I watched, you know, like, I, I mean, as like a really young kid, I would watch, you know, like a Three Amigos was a movie. I remember one oh, time yeah. my babysitter oh, telling me that I couldn't watch anymore because uh, I like burned it so many times. I just, you know, she was she was just like going mental from me being like, we could watch the Three Amigos. And she's like, no, we're not watching the Three Amigos again. <laughs> Little shit. It's gone. And then uh, and then I watched uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which was a movie that um, I really just like. Oh my god! Like I couldn't. It, it kind of it had like eerie elements to it, and I remember as a kid it making me feel a little weird at times. But I still was like the, that movie just kind of spiked more emotion in me than anything I'd ever seen. And that's a movie that really still does hold up. I mean, it's just like it's the right amount of bizarre. And, oh really? Yeah. Um, and then I, my dad got me into the Marx Brothers, and I, oh, I, I started watching old comedies. Yeah, I started to watch a lot of like, um, like in middle school, and you know, I started watching like a lot of Chaplin and a lot of. I really started watching a lot of Buster Keaton movies. But then when I wow. found the Marx Brothers, uh, you know, it was one of those things too, where like, you know, there's just some things as a kid you're like, I just don't like how it looks. I don't want to watch it, and that's how I was with the <laughs> Marx Brothers. And then the first time I watched, I think it was uh, Duck Soup. I was just like, "Holy shit, what is this?" Oh right. Yeah, and then I wa- you know, then I watched all of them uh, and became a big fan. Yeah, but- a Night at the Opera and Day at the Races were my favorites. Oh yeah, well, uh, Horse Feathers too is another. Yeah. Just, I mean, you know, the Har- Har- Harpo Marx was like. I mean, there's just something, I don't know, there's something unnatural about how funny that guy was. Yeah, yeah, and, and I can do a good impression of him when I'm not whistling. Right, oh, that's good. I, You know, I always like to do the uh, leg thing he would do. Oh, yeah. Where he would just, someone would just be standing there and he somehow would put his leg into their hand and they'd be holding his leg as it sort of swayed back and forth. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he grabs it. Yeah, that's right. Um, I loved that. I still use that move from time to time. <laughs> group pictures. When you're in a bar. Yeah, you know, just yeah. Oh man, to be only if uh, I I pine for the day when I can just act like Harpo in a bar. Well, I actually haven't <laughs> seen the Marx Brothers, so this is a perfect sort of example of the Marx. So I rewatched some of the best scenes, and I noticed that leg thing. It's amazing. Yeah, and also the password. Uh, sketch. Oh, swordfish. The swordfish. Oh my yeah. Gosh. Harper's inserts a sword into a fish. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, I mean, there are just some bits that are like truly just, I mean, you say ahead of their time, but like, I think what that means is that it would, it's still funny today. I mean, there are gags in there that are still used today, like in films or just ripped from, from Marx Brothers. Movie. Well, their skill, they were so multi-talented as well. I remember um, in... Uh... And Zeppo. The main ones were talented. And then there was Zeppo. <laughs> Everyone, sorry, I could go. Everyone, <laughs> yeah, he was he was multi talent. Well, I can't even remember what he looks like, but um, he looked like a he looked like he was just like a wet noodle. They would just be like, "Oh, Zeppo!" Stay. He'd be like, "I don't think we should go anywhere," and they'd be like, "Zeppo, that's not going to be fun. We should just attend university." No, Zeppo. No, Zeppo. I feel like getting a job. What do you yeah, want to be? Yeah, yeah. No, I think we should just plan for our future accordingly. No, Zeppo. Oh, we're gonna make a million. <laughs> Have you picked up the milk yet? Yeah, Zeppo. <laughs> we should all turn in, get a good night's sleep. <laughs> I remember a day at the races, the uh, the piano bit where he starts playing the piano and it starts falling apart, and then he turns it into a harp. Yeah, that's just amazing. That that skit. He, him, and uh, Harpo and Salvador Dali were were very good friends. And uh, Salvador Dali one time sent Harpo a harp with barbed wire where the you know the wire the actual strings should be. 
And Harpo just sent him back a picture of his hands and fingers bandaged up with a sort of pained look on his face. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. He, I heard a story that um, because he was silent all the time, he did this speech later in life and apparently everyone was used to him not saying anything and then he just started to talk and then he, he just did not stop talking. That's amazing. And everyone was in hysterics because he just, you know, they hadn't heard him before and he just kept going and That's going amazing. and going. Yeah, he was yeah. bottled up. <laughs> all those years. Yeah, all those years he was like, oh, fuck, I want to say hate harps. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to learn the guitar so bad. Oh, that felt good. Oh, that yeah. felt good. <laughs> what um we we did a bit of a well Derek Derek's got a bit of a journalistic background to him so he did a bit of digging and he looked into some of the stuff that you'd mentioned in the, in the past about what was a Monty Python oh, as yeah. well yeah for sure I mean um you know I I I like I I yeah I would watch older shit I mean I definitely would watch the garbage of my time as well but I always liked older stuff and like um yeah I mean I remember when I was a kid because my family's English so I remember as a kid. I think the first Monty Python sketch I really remember was one called Lupin Man. Oh, where yeah. Where it was yeah, like yeah. John Cleese <laughs> was coming back at, to like a sort of a starved village. It was Dennis Moore. Yeah. And he, and he, yeah, he would just come back with lupins, a flower. And they called him Lupin Man and they played a whole song called Lupin Man. And he'd come back and yeah. they'd be like, What have you brought? And he'd be like, I've got lupins. And they'd be like, Oh, fuck, more lupins. We don't need more lupins. We need food. He'd be like, Well, I've got a big bag of lupins. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Lupin stew and yeah, right, yeah. Um, and then the movies. I mean, I, you know, the the Monty Python movies. Are, oh yeah. Uh, you know, I think every single one of them is uh, independently just pretty pretty brilliant. You know. Well, this is another thing that Derek that I've got a big background in that Derek doesn't. So he's only been into really twisted films that have, would scar a normal person for life. <laughs> But, uh, like but deliverance. Uh, like oh, deliverance. shit. How old were you when you saw Deliverance? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's changed my view of it. Like, Der- Derek won't go near the river for some reason. Derek hates rivers. Oh, my God. Who, who allowed this? Were your, was your family around? <laughs> they were the ones yeah, that watched they it. Did they not know what was coming? Oh my gosh! <laughs> I thought that was just hugging. Yeah, uh, you see, when a, when a man and another man like each other on a road trip, they share a special hug. <laughs> oh. But Pete actually forced me to watch uh, Holy Grail with him, and uh, I've just been bombarded with people imitating the skits. So yeah, I, yeah. My Monty Python is sort of very scarred. Yeah, and I've no, and I've happens. done nothing but imitate scripts. So I was one of the I was one of those one of those culprits. Yeah, no, I I get that. Well, I think the meaning of life is one of the is maybe their best movie. It's definitely uh, it's definitely quoted, but I think it's a little under the radar. Yeah, it's it's a different structured film. It's more like a uh, it's a series of sketch strewn by a by a loose narrative. Yeah, and um, just uh, you know a little mint, just wafer thin. The wafer. <laughs> yeah, I mean it really is like it's it's one of those things too that like I think probably what Derek experienced, but where like I remember it being quoted and then finally seeing it and being like almost relieved that I knew what it was. Like, oh, okay, yeah, that's something. It's uh-huh. like right now, what we were just talking about, I bet Derek has no idea. It's just classic Derek. What we were just talking but about. But I did watch some of the other stuff from the TV show, like the Lumberjack. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
the X parrot. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah, there's yeah. one, there's one of my, I have a lot of audio Monty Python on my iPod. And like the one that I'll never not listen to is uh, this guy who wants an argument. Oh, it's yeah, just, yeah. It's like, I'm here to have an argument. He's like, yeah, all right, yeah. well, be, uh, all right. Now, what would you like? Well, I want an argument. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. I absolutely I'm so, do. I'm sorry. Is this a five minute argument? Uh, yeah, yes, just the five minutes. Right. <laughs> Well, no, you don't. It's like, this is an argument. This is just contradiction. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. I could do it all day. I know. I know. And I'm trying my hardest not to jump in and do it badly. Listen, like I'm oh. doing it justice. Yeah, you will. The thing I noticed also was they kept the references throughout, like Bolton, the palindrome thing. Yeah. It's not love. And I'll introduce that later on. That was pretty great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. well, the truth is that, like, with anything like that, you know, it's baby steps as far as comedy goes. So it's like some, you know, but nobody was just like, nobody had just gone on air with a show that was that weird. Yeah. Like everybody else had been aiming to please audiences, whereas they were a little more okay with puzzling people and just being totally silly, you know, which just- Yeah, like at the end of the lumberjack scene, there's John Cleese being spit roasted by three middle-aged yeah. women. <laughs> going, ooh. Yeah, ah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. random. Yeah. No, and they had those little Terry Gilliam uh, drawings in between and it, they were just oh, yeah, absolutely yeah. surrealist, you know? They were just like, I don't think you could get that show on the air today. Yeah, if it wasn't uh, considered a classic. Yeah. People, it was just a great point in time for it to be inserted. Yeah, and it was, it was back when networks would just sort of be like, you know, let's try something, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and there were so many, during that period of time, there were so many comedians who were just coming on with shows. I think, um, what was it, Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie they, oh uh, yeah, they a little bit of frying, well. Laurie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and uh, Moore and Cook, and you know, there were a lot of, uh, but but they were all like they were trying to be. I don't know. Monty Python just probably hit my brain at like either the wrong or right time, depending on how you look at it. But it was just like this dose of absolute, just giddy, baffling humor. It was yeah, completely different from everything else, and yeah. just tone and feel, and and it was just ludicrous. Uh, I think it just hit every age. So when uh, now when you go back and you watch the movies, like do you also do the thing where there are jokes that you've always thought were funny as a kid, but never knew why, and now you're like, oh, I get it. Uh, it's yeah. a sex. I know what foreskin is now. This is funny. <laughs> <laughs> now I get it because I understand what foreskin is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's a bit of that. There's a bit of that. There's um that there's also a lot of um suggest unintentional suggestive stuff in old films there was one that uh have you ever seen the last starfighter i don't think so no uh, it's a science fiction film and uh there's there's a bit where this guy has been invited to get into just a stranger's car to be taken to a wondrous place and this just sounds like the prequel to Deliverance. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It'll getting and, in strange cars with men. Yeah, yeah, getting in strange cars. Yeah. And um, what was it? And there was the toy, obviously, and um, Deliverance. I wonder if Ned Beatty knew when he was filming that 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 would be his most remembered moment. His yeah. most remembered line: people yeah. yelling at oh, him. Oh yeah, <laughs> squeal. Oh, just to, just trying to eat a fucking dinner with your family and someone's coming over like you having bacon does it squeal for you oh, fuck off it's my 11 year old's birthday 
Amazing. <laughs> Did you get him a bow and arrow? Yeah. Ah, oh, there we go. You know, your dad likes to go to the... Sir, get out of here. <laughs> oh, man. No, it's, it's, it is it is crazy when you go back and you watch these things. And, and, you know, there was... What was that one, that French one? Uh, City of Lost Children. City of Lost Children. Man, that was bizarre. Yeah. I don't... Crazy, crazy films. So... Was it mainly comedies that were influential for you? Were there any like really strange things that you'd never, like you'd see once and you just couldn't forget? Um, You know, I really did watch mostly comedy. I'm trying to think if there was anything, you know, I, I rem- th- this is probably not exactly what you're talking about, but I remember, you know, when my family first got cable, this is like my dad's favorite story, is I was, um, I was probably like, five or six and you know i had my own little chair like when you're a kid and you just for whatever reason you're just like i need a chair and you just get like a chair that's appropriate size for you so i was just in this you know i just love my little chair and so the, my my mother walked into a room and there was like a sex scene on tv and my dad was reading and my brother was playing music and so my mother was just like asked my dad if he was watching it and he said no and she asked my brother and he said no and she went to turn it off and i from my little chair where no one knew i was under a table just go i'm watching it <laughs> um, but yeah i don't know i don't really know i mean i actually you know a movie this is so fucking embarrassing you know what movie i really loved i mean just loved was pretty woman <laughs> Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I loved Pretty Woman. I would watch Pretty yeah. Woman all the time. I thought that was such a great movie. But, uh, but I can understand that. When you're a kid, and I'd imagine that one would have been lost on you, all of the um, the prostitution and all of I was a that little older. I mean, I still definitely, like, uh, totally right. did not, you know, like, the beginning, like, is all about how one of them is going to leave prostitution. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. like, I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure that I wasn't grasping the, you know, intertwining of pimps and uh, sex workers at that time. You know, I was like, what do they do? Make milkshakes? Like, what are they talking about? But yeah, that was a. I don't know. I just I loved that movie. I was I was like in love mm. with Julia Roberts as yeah. a kid. Well, there, that's it. And, and I think in a way you shouldn't feel embarrassed at films that you enjoyed as a kid because that some of them are twisted and obscure, and you watch them again, and maybe they don't have the same tint, but they did have positive memories. And oh yeah, I think that that's what's, what's. No, I I was genuinely. I mean. When I think about it, like that, you know, there should be little doubt that I would get into some form of like, you know, entertainment or writing or comedy because, you know, it was all I watched. I mean, I really did. Mm-hmm. All I would watch was old, you know, I'd watch Taxi, I'd watch Welcome Back Cotter, I'd watch Old Cheers, you know, like I would just watch Mork and Mindy, Happy Days. I would just watch these shows that were, you know, whatever, maybe, you know, 10 to 20 years ahead of my, ahead of when I was actually even born. And um, yeah, I mean, I just was always obsessed with the characters and the timing. And there's this one taxi joke I'll always remember where um, Christopher Lloyd's character is trying to get his driver's license and Jeff Conway goes to the DMV with him and Christopher Lloyd goes, hey, what does a yellow light mean? And he goes, slow down. And Christopher Lloyd goes, what does a yellow light mean? And he goes, slow down. And then he goes, what does... (laughs) A yellow light. I mean, they do it like eight times. And I was just like, oh, fuck, stop. This is too good. <laughs> you know, like I, I that that stuff. I, and I I think even then, you know, like we, when you first start even doing comedy or, you know, trying to be funny, even with your friends, you're not funny. You're doing someone else's jokes or, yeah. or you're like, 
you know, doing a bastardized version of something you've seen. You're, you're really just kind of responding and imitating. But in the long run, those are the things that sort of are just the genesis for like how you are funny, how you make jokes and Absolutely. You know, your timing. You, I relate back to my like, it sounds crazy, but yeah, I mean, I think of, you know, I think of comedy in my childhood all the time, you know? Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's essentially training, thinking about all the comedic timing. And I think it takes the right mind to have that level of observation about the intonation of words or the um, the cadence and and yeah. um, the timing of of when to push forward and when to to give it time. when to say yellow light slow down for the eighth yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, um. So, uh. Well, I do have a yes or no question. Okay. So, do you ever find it challenging to be comedic at the same time as being sensitive to the morality of a situation while being shocked by the disturbing ways that people treat each other? <laughs> Uh, uh, absolutely. Cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is, am I only allowed to say yes or no? Uh, oh, look, you, you can say more if you'd like. I mean, whatever you want. Yes is the <laughs> no, answer. No, no, say, yeah, say, say, say more, say more. Yeah. I think, you know, especially if, you know, in the world we are sort of in now, I think, um, I, I don't know, I guess it's sort of like as you get older in your life and then as society sort of gets older as well, there are a lot of things that, you do need to be sensitive towards that. Mm. Now, there are a lot of people who, you know, definitely think that you should be allowed to say anything that you want to say. And if someone gets offended, you know, that's on them. And I don't like, look, I mean, like we're saying, you watch old comedies or you watch old stand-up. I mean, go watch Sam Kinison. Like Sam Kinison is like, you know, he, he, he wouldn't be able to do his act today. And that's a guy who definitely is funny, but is definitely you know, there's just a, the very uh, sexist tone to his stuff. That was, mm. and Andrew Dice Clay, these are people who like, you know, made their, their rap was sort of just being like so uh, male that it was misogynistic and people found it funny. But um, I think you absolutely have to be sensitive. I mean, anytime that on the dollop or even in standup, when you're talking about race or you're talking about sexism or, or any of those things, like you want to be funny, and, you know, the truth is that you 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 want to be able to say whatever you can. But there are times like on the dollop, if we're talking about like, you know, slavery or something like that, I'm like, you know, I just might not be the guy to make the joke about this yeah. shit, you know, yeah. like because it, it's not I, I while I think I could think of funny things to say about it. I also understand that it's not an experience that I relate to enough to, you know, that that the maybe the funny part of it doesn't outweigh the sort of sensitivity you have to show towards something at times. Yeah, it does strike me as quite difficult to understand making a joke about something that you don't know a lot about. Yeah, you don't know whether it's going to be too much or whether it, people aren't going to realize that it's a joke and you are trying to be sensitive at the same time. Yeah. Well, look, there's going to be a bunch of people who will, who, you know, who are like you, who are going to be, oh, I don't relate enough to this to sort of say that was fucked up. But to me, it's like, you know, if, if, if one person is offended, if two, you know, if, if 10 people are offended by something that I said or, or that someone else said, I think you have to be sensitive to that. You have to sort of say like, and again, this, it might be me. I definitely don't think every, you know, every comedian thinks like this, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I think you can always make, 
if you leave a joke on the field, but it's for the sake of not making someone feel bad, I don't know. I'd kind of rather not make the joke. And, yeah. and I, I feel, uh, having listened to the dollop, because it, it really did get me interested in the path of podcasts, and I had noticed that both yourself and Dave Anthony were very conscious of that. You'd make all of these jokes, but still at the same time, you were trying to be conscious of the fact that these are people's lives in the past and that that this has had really significant implications for the future as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we did an episode on um he was he was basically a, a farm a farmer and he was on his property. He was young. He was, you know, I don't think it was his farm, but he was like there with his either his girlfriend or on his at his mother's house and his arms get ripped mm. off by a like a some kind of you know, some kind of crazy farm equipment. And he goes in and he puts his arms on ice and he's making jokes throughout the whole experience. Like yeah. Dave is reading these seriously funny jokes this guy is making about having his arms in a bathtub on ice. And so we made a lot of jokes about it too, you know, I, I, but but because it felt like he'd sort of set the tone for that. Mm. And that was one of those situations where he emailed us and he was just like, man, I was laughing so fucking hard about when you said, you know, when you were like, pick up my arm, I want to put it around you or something. He's like, I totally would have said that shit. And, um, you know, that's an example of where like, oh, fuck, great. You know, but then I've also had um, someone reach out to me, you know, for an episode where they were related to someone we were talking about. And the person was very hurt, you know, and was uh, like, I'm sorry. And yeah, well, I mean, you know, but that I think that's a good there's a good lesson in there because normally the solution to that is just communicate. Like I communicated with both of those people Mm. and the person who was upset wasn't upset by the end because, you know, I was, I was like, you know, you got to understand a couple of things. (laughs) One is that if you had told me I'd ever be talking to a relative of someone that we talked about, I'd say you're crazy. Mm -hmm. Like that just shows you the reach of it. Um, And the other thing is that, you know, like these, these like genuinely, I think you can kind of fall back on like they weren't made at the expense of this person. They're made at the the lunacy of the situation. Yeah. And um, I think that's why we kind of try to gravitate towards doing that over just, you know, again, making the I don't want to say obvious joke because I'm sure I make a shitload of obvious ones. But, you know, why, why you just have a little bit of thought in the moment towards what the what the meaning of the words you're saying are because again you're on the fly absolutely you know like i don't know any of this shit i don't know what i'm gonna hear i don't know what we're gonna talk about and there are just times i think where the voice in my head will just say oh yeah you could go for this and there's other times it's like man maybe it's a listening moment pal yeah and and that's it isn't it it's really hard to know the difference between when to say something when not to what to say and and it really is just an admirable profession that you do where you can try to be conscientious and funny at the same time it's a real skill it's not just something everyone can sit back and say that's funny uh, i could do that and it's just crazy because the amount of effort that goes into getting to the point where you can actually do that on the fly well sometimes it feels like you're tiptoeing through a, a minefield uh but uh but yeah you know i think it's it's important stuff to talk about regardless you know it always is it's the doing the dollop has really changed um my perspective on so many different things, you know, Mm. classism, racism, you know, it really has. I mean, things that I thought I was very sensitive to before, but I think they they make it pretty easy for you in America to ignore your history. Mm. And so I don't think it takes a lot of work to sort of just not really acknowledge it. Mm. And I think when you do sort of uh, absorb the past as much as you can, it makes you go, "Hmm, I think we've got some talking to do still, (laughs) you know, like, I don't think we've ironed this out. Like, it's a very strange position because when you think about racism, like nobody in my direct family has ever 
owned a slave or been a slave owner, you know, but just like nobody who is black in America now is a slave. However, you have to look at that and go, I still need to show some empathy towards the history that people that I'm a descendant of lived in. Well, it passes down, doesn't it? Yeah. And well, and the, it, it, the ignorance passes down mm. too. the, the lack of wanting to understand it, it becomes easier and easier to just forget about it. But it is something that this country and many countries need to actually just go, okay, let's, let's be honest. What the fuck happened <laughs> back there? Let's all sit down and have a powwow, you know? Mm. Um, Cause there just is, that's, I just don't think it's getting us very far by pretending like shit never happened. So there's got to be a better way to do it. When you said no one from your family has ever owned a slave, just that statement alone, there are people who now would be all for equality, but their background, they may have had, you know, great, great grandparents that own slaves. And it's just such a hard thing to fathom. When I I went to Germany once and I stayed with a, a friend of a friend, and they had pictures of their grandfather on the wall in, in Nazi regalia, you know? Yeah, wow. And it wow. startled the fuck out of me because I was like, what the fuck? You know, but then I was also like, I mean, I guess it's your grandpa, but seriously, what the fuck? <laughs> like, you know, like part of me goes, okay, I understand respecting your family, but it's also like, you know, we need, you. I think we need to be done promoting that time for yeah. like positivity, you know? Um, and if you look at America now, I mean, shit, look at the, you know, these were these are not wounds that healed. These were scabs that reopened. Mm. So we thought we were way ahead of the game, um, only to you know take many steps back as far as how we treat other races and you know how we treat classes too. I mean, race and race and class are so intertwined. Yeah, well, Australia, we have a terrible history of yes how we treat the natives. It's just terrible. Ah, oh, it's awful. Um, and yeah, it's just a convoluted, horrible mess that still hasn't yeah. been repaired. Well, we're lucky because we we wronged the Native Americans and then we wronged the African Americans. So that <laughs> we got we were able to have two nice nice stretches of just brutality. Yeah, but did they go in extinct? Because we we made no. some of them go extinct. You know, no. we we did pretty good there. Um, well, we probably did. I'm sure we've made some, <laughs> surely there are some sex of Native America. I mean, we, look, mar, we, we marginalized significantly. All right, fine. fine. Yeah, thank you. you can, All right. Uh, sorry, I'll concede. Yeah, see, look, you're cute, but come on, pal. Um, well, you know, I'm trying. Yeah. So, but but did you actually ever see yourself traveling around with Dave Anthony doing gigs around the world? No. Absolutely not. I mean, that's just, no. yeah, that's awesome. No, I mean, that's what is strange about having a, a career, you know, a career where you're you're very much your own business in a sense. You know, you really are like, you're trying to break yourself. You're trying to like prove your worth. And having lived in LA for a long time, you know, over a decade trying to do this shit, of course it comes from the thing where I'm recording a, a show in a garage with a guy I barely know. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like that's really where it started. And like, if you had told me then that this would turn into one of the tent poles of what I do for a living and, you know, really the thing that's given me the platform to sort of speak my mind and say my thoughts and make jokes. Yeah, I would have just never seen it coming. I mean, it just was so random how it all sort of came together. But um, mm. but I'm very glad, you know. I mean, I'm grateful for it all the time, you know, truly. Like, it's just, I'm very lucky. Well, the good news is, is that you can always sort of later on in life make up 
a story as to how how it all came together yeah no we'll make it seem like we were like very shrewd yeah it was yeah. all planned out and yeah you know, you were... well dave is a dave was more aware dave would be like when dave said we're gonna go to australia i was sort of you know the first time i was like maybe and then when he were there and he's like we're gonna do theaters here eventually i was like okay this guy's out of his fucking tits <laughs> like what is he talking about you know i was like okay man whatever you think yeah it's good to have that drive and the yeah. full planning oh yeah he he definitely is he's a smart motherfucker that guy <laughs> i yeah. think that comes well, well i rely I, I rely on derek for relatability good because <laughs> uh, he's 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 uh just a nicer guy than i am so right. i just rely on that you know that's important yeah it is i'm just an asshole all around really i was gonna say it but i didn't want it oh yeah sorry <laughs> i just i just wanted to make you feel comfortable enough to say it that's very but, nice uh, <laughs> but uh it's just amazing how it's changed for yourself and and i know that you have introduced other podcasts that have kicked off what are the the uh murder uh, my favorite murder i remember you talking about them and that's how I started listening to them as well. Yeah, I think it's it's helpful because like you're able to, you know, podcast it's it, even when we talk to like agents and shit about the dollop, you know, it's like they still aren't sure what the fuck this is, you know. They're like <laughs> they're like podcasting and booking live podcasts, they're still sort of figuring out what this is. They're very happy just like theaters are or or comedy clubs because there's now sort of a new thing to do. Hmm. But what's great about it is people get exposed to something through word of mouth so much more than than other shit like i don't think you hear about stand-ups like you hear about podcasts you know someone is just like podcasting is a very strange thing that's just really started to just kind of explode mm. and so there's you know if there's someone good or if there's a good podcast you want people to hear it oh, absolutely you know? like you want people to know about it you know and it's a shared thing as well so it's not like you feel like you're competing with people when you know, everyone, yeah. everyone's just sitting at work listening to podcasts all the time or just it's, yeah. it's everywhere. It's it's like... There's enough to... I mean, look, if people like podcasts, they want to listen to good podcasts as mm. much as they can. So it's not like people are like, I only listen to two. It's like if someone likes something, they'll listen to it. And, you know, there, yeah, there's a lot of crossover fans between certain shows and, I, you know, it's great. It really is. I mean, like you mm. support like, yeah, like My Favorite Murder is just obviously blown that fuck up. And it's just like you want to see that. That is good. That's good for everybody involved in it because it's like, you know, this gets the word out more. This is legitimizing this more. Like the more that people are succeeding with it, the better it is for anyone else doing it. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure I'm responsible for about two people listening to your podcast. So I'm pretty proud of myself. Are they named Derek and Peter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's me. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe. Oh, Jesus, this really. <laughs> I tried. Just petered out. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna steal one of Pete's questions just for a final one. For anyone starting a podcast, would you have any advice? Um. Yeah. I mean, look. I'm not. <laughs> I. It's very hard. I mean, like you know, like I said with with me and Dave, we were just in a garage. Um. But uh, yeah. I mean, my advice would be have something to say. You know, I think that that is with all really good comedy with all you know, or all engaging things, there's something that someone needs to say or someone needs to hear. And that's what, that's what brings people towards this stuff is that, you know, you, if, if someone is saying something that they feel like it matters, I think listeners key into that too. That's why the bond between people who do podcasts and people who listen to podcasts is, is sort of different than most other avenues of comedy or entertainment, because there is this, you know, there is this level of like, you're hearing someone say something, 
you know, for an hour a week, for two hours a week, that they would never say if it wasn't for a podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not pre. It's not really rehearsed. It's not anything that's predetermined. It's someone talking. You know, and like just yeah. talking for an hour. I mean, think of Will Anderson's show. Like, I mean, that you know, think of the amount of bits and comedy that have come out of him having a podcast mm-hmm. <laughs> just because he doesn't stop talking. <laughs> you know, because he like he just has so many funny takes and he just is so quick that it's like yeah. you know, this is this is like an you get an extra hour of this dude's mind a week. Yeah. I think that that and it and it's personal, you know, it's talking about your life or your walks or your yeah. family or whatever it is. Um, you know, ours is a little different, but it's still you're hearing the voice, you're hearing someone's take in a really kind of rare format. And I think that people connect to, to that, you know. Mm. So that's what it would be. Have a message and get mugs. We have a lot of mugs. People love the Jose mugs. <laughs> All right, Merch Derek, mugs you're on that. <laughs> yeah, someone's got to be making mugs. <laughs> Amazing. Well, look, we really do appreciate you coming on and, and spending some time. Of course. Time on our, on I, uh, our humble podcast. No, well, I apologize if I took a while to get on your humble podcast oh, today. It's, so, it's, Well, hey. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I might get a few more listeners. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. It's good. For for at least one episode, anyway. Listen. Look. We're all doing the same thing. You don't think that I look at the patent episodes of the dollop and go, I get it. I get why those yeah. numbers are big. Pat yeah. Oswalt. You know? <laughs> um, but no, I, I really appreciate it, and thank you for yeah, thank you for having me on. Oh, Thanks well, so thank much you again. Very much. All right, guys. All right. Thanks. I love you. Miss you. Okay. Miss you us. You too. Okay. I'll be listening to you. Okay. All right. Talk to you later. <laughs> All right.